Autistic individuals often struggle with social anxiety due to a variety of compounding factors. Today, we will share an autistic perspective on why this happens, how your child may be feeling during these moments, and what you can do to help. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey, I'm here. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So we're already off to a rough start today. Uh, For those of you listening in the audio version, you don't have to worry about it. But if you're actually watching this video, we're having like technical issues. I'm posting things in the wrong places. It is pure (laughs) chaos. I'm having a super ADHD day. No, it's fun. That'll be fun. (laughs) All right, let's dive right in. So we're talking about social anxiety and social anxiety is something that I personally have struggled a lot with in my journey through self-discovery of being diagnosed with autism. I've definitely witnessed it with our children as well, but I wanted to bring it up because there's a part of the social anxiety that parents tend to not really understand or see because it's more internal. A lot of times what we as parents see is the behavior. We see how our child is acting, but we don't really understand why. I'm not going to say that I think every autistic child is acting a certain way for the same reason. Every kid is different, so there could be a bunch of different reasons or triggers. But I'm just going to share from my perspective what some of my triggers have been growing up, even now in adulthood, what some of those are and why they happen. So Matt, Hopefully I can give you a a little bit of something to work with here because I know this is a little bit harder for you to talk on. Yeah, I mean, I guess for like a parent's perspective, I guess I'm the outsider, if we can use that terminology, kind of looking in. So, I mean, I see the behaviors after the fact, but not necessarily know the internal dialogue that's kind of going along with it. So it's kind of interesting to see because, I mean, we've had conversations where you think a interaction went a certain way and I think it went a certain way. And sometimes they don't necessarily line up with kind of the reaction, the feedback I'm getting kind of from you. And it's kind of interesting where I'm kind of like, well, why would you think that way? It doesn't really match with how I perceive just basic interactions among other friends, family, whoever. So, I mean, it'll be interesting kind of to see some internal thoughts going along. And then I can kind of add my perspective kind of along the way. Kind of like how I post internal communications on the public facing YouTube channel. (laughs) Usually those are meant for just a private chat, but sure, we can welcome everyone into the conversation so they know our internal thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, you will not see that I accidentally publicly commented on something that was like a behind the scenes thing with like editing. But yes, it is relevant to this conversation because it's an example of the mental chaos that happens when I am socializing and having interactions. (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, I was laughing at you in the internal chat. Yeah, I did. I saw that you were laughing at me. So thank you. Much better. Uh, happy to help. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I want to talk about is when it comes to the social anxiety, a lot of it is masked, at least for me. Some kiddos are more likely to mask than others, just depending on the kid. It really depends on a whole lot of factors. So what 
quote unquote level of autism they're at, what level of comfort they are with their autism. Are they aware they're autistic? Are they not aware? Depending on all those factors, it could kind of change the outcome. For me in particular, growing up, I did not know I was autistic. I didn't even know I had ADHD until after I graduated high school. So that really kind of impacted my anxiety levels when it came to social situations because I felt like a lot of the issues really were me. Well, it's interesting because I, I knew there was something different about me. I guess I knew I had some type of disability, but I didn't know to what extent it was or any like labels with that individual disability. So I kind of was a little on the other side of that. So, I mean, I knew, okay, I must not be learning something next that my peers are clearly picking up on, but I didn't have a, like a label or anything to assign. It was just kind of like, okay, something is different with me. So kind of a little bit different from you, but again, I didn't know, and I wasn't getting any resources to help me specifically with my disability. So might as well not know anything at that point, because it didn't really make much of a difference one way or the other. So I'm just going to start diving right into the examples that I can share from my experiences. One of the things that seems kind of contradictory but happens in autism is a lot of the times as an autistic person, let's say your child, you very much so want to have friendships and you really do want to develop those companionships. You want social circles. You want socialization. Yes, a lot of times we're happy to be on our own, but Deep down, most kids, whether they're neurotypical or neurodivergent, whether they're autistic or not, do actually crave that friendship, that relationship. Of course, there's a lot of factors that make that more challenging and more difficult for the autistic child or the autistic adult, because there's all these extra layers of communication that you need to basically work through to get to even the beginning of a conversation with another person, let alone build into a deeper connection. Growing up, that always gave me a sense of anxiety just going into a conversation because the first step was just figuring out how to engage appropriately in that conversation. I learned from growing up as a child through my elementary years that clearly I wasn't doing something right because people would be put off by me. Other kids wouldn't want to hang out with me. So when I was in the playground as a kid, I usually was playing by myself. There might be one kid out of like 20 or 25 who would be willing to play with me. And it would be the other kid who's also being kind of like ostracized. So it seemed like we were kind of like the loner kids. And because of that, it didn't occur to me that I needed to do anything. So like as a child, you don't really understand what's going on because you see all the other kids getting along and playing naturally, but you don't really understand why you're not. So I would isolate at the picnic tables during recess and I would just read. I taught myself to read very young. I was hyperlexic like my kids. I would write stories. And as I grew up, I started diving into the books like that was my escape from these social situations. So the first thing that I learned from that with my kids is there is going to be a level of discomfort initially, even just in the anticipation of having some sort of social interaction. So at this point, nothing's happening. I'm not interacting with these kids yet, but I'm already anxious about it because I am very aware that I'm outside of the circle and they are in the circle. So just knowing and being aware that there's a group, they're getting along, they're having conversations, they're talking, I'm not in that group, that's already anxiety provoking. So that's something that sometimes parents don't realize. 
even before your child gets into that social situation or that social interaction, they might already be a little bit stressed out. You're kind of setting yourself up a little bit for failure, not intentionally, but you're kind of getting in your own head a little bit. So you're already seeing yourself as an outsider and you're worried like, okay, how do I navigate going behind enemy lines to try and have a conversation with a potential friend? They sit next to me in class. Sometimes they're friendly. How do I know if they're an actual friend? Obviously, I mean, we have different backgrounds and different disabilities. I never really had that internal dialogue. Mine was more so we would play like football or soccer or tag or something in kind of the younger years. So it was more so just finding like a group of people who all wanted to or had like a same interest. And then we all pulled off of that. We didn't have any really like deep conversations as far as like becoming like best buds or whatever for like recess. It was more so like, hey, like let's get like a bunch of people together and we can try and like play football and just kind of mess around or soccer or whatever it was that day. And it's it's funny because you mentioned, I mean, well, kind of funny. You mentioned as far as like reading at recess and I was thinking and I was like, well, I remember being in the library in elementary school because they would have like blank piece of paper and like pencils and I remember my friends and I we would be like drawing like plans for like soccer and like all the things we we're going to do like at recess so I mean maybe it would have probably helped me if I would have picked up a book and tried to read versus using the piece of paper that we had to try and draw oh this is how we're going to beat the other team in soccer later so it's just interesting how your environment kind of was different from mine I think you kind of get inside your own head and then it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm going to have a bad interaction with these people because I'm worried about the things I'm going to say rather than just kind of seeing how the conversation goes and not really worry too much about what you're going to say. But I know it's not that simple because, I mean, conversations are incredibly complex. On one day, you saying, hey, it's great to see you can have a totally different meeting than the next day, depending on situations that have taken place, if they think that you're trying to insult them or any other thing. I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of a yeah. battlefield in, in some places. And if you don't understand the plans of how to navigate those conversations, then it's extremely difficult. And I would say that that was probably more challenging as an adult, because as an adult, I can see more clearly what these social rules are, and I can feel more deeply the emotional rejection and things like that. But as a child, you're not even thinking that deeply. It's more like you can just sense it. So like as a child, you sense something is off, but you don't know what it is. You feel the rejection, but you don't understand why. That to me was the hardest part growing up because I knew something was wrong and I never in a million years thought it was because I had any sort of disability. Because again, at the time, I had no idea I had a disability. And again, this is why I always advocate for telling your child if they are autistic, ADHD, whatever it may be, as early as possible, because they will just start reflecting internally and be like, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm clearly the thing that's different in this picture. So what is it? And if you can't give them that what it is, they're going to start making that up on their own. And for me, I just thought I was like a broken person. And so through these social interactions in school, I started to develop anxiety approaching them because after trial and error of social interactions with my peers, I started seeing a pattern. And I was a very smart kid. Uh, I was hyperlexic. My kids are smart. Like we're just, we're blessed with intellect and cursed with it at the same time because I was able to see this pattern of behavior with my peers. And I was able to pin the common denominator, the common factors. And I was able to see that, okay, clearly something that I did here in this situation resulted in this behavior from my peer, the rejection, the, the bullying, whatever it may be. 
that's the part that took a little bit of fine tuning into adulthood to really understand properly. I was just going to say, I wasn't blessed with the intellect, so I'm just living in ignorance and bliss over here. So <laughs> They say opposites attract. No, right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you have a valid point that if you are extremely smart and you're analyzing, if you're noticing, okay, what is the pattern here? Why is this missing? What's going on here? What is the outlier? I mean, at some point you would kind of say, is it me? And then each situation from that point on, you would be like, it seems like it's me. Maybe it's me. Yes, it's me. It's just reinforcing each situation that you have beyond that point when you have that realization. And then you think maybe it's something I'm doing. So I don't know. I mean, if there's a way to kind of like break that mindset, I mean, that would be awesome. But I mean, obviously it's, it's not as simple as basically just saying like, poof, it's done. It's a little bit more complicated than that. I don't even think it's just a matter of breaking up that mindset. The problem is that the world continuously reinforces that mindset. This conversation we're having right now, we just talked about my intellect, then we made a joke about you. And then immediately after, I'm sitting here processing it. I'm like, did that come off as conceited? I'm not trying to come off like, oh, I'm so smart, but I don't know how it comes off. I don't understand how it comes off. So to anybody listening or watching right now, Comment in the comments below. Let me know. Did that come off conceited? I have no idea. But like, that's part of the problem is like with this give and take in conversation. That's a perfect example of what would happen in these social interactions that would really make me anxious. I learned through trial and error that if I would say something, a person would react a certain way. And then I would have to sit back and kind of think about, well, what did I say? What context did I say it in? What tone did I say it in? What did I mean? What could they have possibly thought I meant? And that process takes time to understand. So what happens is when I'm going to go hang out with somebody, I'll have a blast with that person. We'll talk, we'll chit chat, whatever it may be. But during that entire process, I can't keep up with the conversation enough to understand what's actually happening because conversations are so back and forth and so quick. There isn't time to process what a person means in the middle of each sentence. What I default to doing is just having the conversation and masking through it and kind of putting on a smile, joking around, all this stuff. And then post-conversation, when I get home and I can unmask, that's where that breakdown happens. And Matt has seen this, where I've hung out with someone, I think I'm having a great time. But then as soon as I get home, I just start freaking out and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how that person interpreted what I said. Did I come off as offensive? Do you think they liked me? Do you think that this was like the wrong choice of words? And that causes a post hangout spiral. If you see that your child is having fun, they're going to hang out with somebody and you're like, wow, look at that. They're having such a great time with this kid. And then they come home and you see that they're melting down. They're lashing out. They're getting angry. They're crying. They're slamming doors, whatever it may be. It could very well be that they're experiencing that social burnout from having that anxiety during that interactions and that during those interactions, they were basically just pushing through. But when they get home, like I do, we just kind of let it all go because that's our like safe space to process everything. I, I was thinking of one of my old colleagues, super bubbly personality, very outgoing. You would think that she would be like the life of all the parties. But she told me that it's basically masking what she does at work in a work environment where she feels like she has to put on a persona where she's super friendly and upbeat to everyone. But then she was basically saying like when she goes home, she's just so drained of having to do it. 
she often would say like, oh yeah, when I like go home immediately after work, I put on like my pajamas and I basically just like don't talk to anyone. I basically kind of shut the doors and everything. And it's basically just me just kind of trying to relax and recharge my battery for the next day. Now, I mean, I'm not sure if she had autism or if she was on the spectrum, but I feel like it would be something similar to that where after having to socialize with another individual, if you are not necessarily comfortable in kind of the exchange of conversation where you're not over analyzing, stressing about, did I not tilt my head enough or laugh long enough when they said a joke? And you're constantly analyzing every component of the conversation. I mean, it'd be extremely exhausting. And you, I mean, you would need to definitely recharge your battery because I mean, I'm thinking of one of the conversations that we had after you had a night with one of your, your friends when they came over to our house. And I mean, you, you've known this person for what, 15 my years entire, or something? Almost my right. entire life. And I mean, you you had you had a great time. I got you guys food because I'm a great husband. Um, we'll skip over that. <laughs> anyway, so then, um, yeah, you you I guys had like you a, didn't skip over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not important. So you guys had like a great time, and I mean, I I left you alone. Both you and Herb seemed to have a great time and happy and everything. But then, like an hour afterwards, you kind of went from like the high of that to kind of not like a depression, but from excited to like panic. And I was like, everything went fine. Like you had a great time they had a great time, like you should probably try and do it again sometime. So it's very interesting to see how such a situation, at least from my perspective, it gave no indication that there was ever like a negative situation that was created during that conversation. But yet it kind of went to a not dark place, but kind of like a like sad place afterwards. Yeah, well, I would say more like a stressed, anxious place. That's one of the things that I want to mention is if you do have a kiddo who's going on these playdates or you actually are able to get them to socialize with friends at school or something like that, and then you see that they're having fun and you're like, oh, hey, do you want to schedule a playdate? You want to go and do this with that friend? And they tell you no, or they indicate to you that they don't want to. And you're confused because you're like, but you had a great time. Why wouldn't you want to? It might be because, yes, they had a great time, but underneath all that, there was a ton of anxiety fueling that great time, trying to push through that great time, and they might not think it's worth the cost. For me, I know that after I did that hangout, for example, I was like, I don't know if I could do this again soon because I had a good time, but the energy, the emotional energy of like the post-fun burnout stuff, it really took a toll. I basically didn't think that it was worth that effort because I knew that afterwards I would be really stressed. I have learned to have to pace myself with social engagements that are going to be significant and kind of prep myself emotionally for them because I know that I will overthink the social interaction because I won't understand it. <laughs> it's difficult because... In order to have friendship, you need to have rapport, which means you have to socialize with an individual, have communication with them at a somewhat frequent, I guess, frequency in order for that kind of relationship to last. So if it's isolated peaks of you associating with this individual, you also run the risk that they won't necessarily have the same closeness with friendship that you might want. So you might want a friend that you can discuss everything with, which is great. I mean, I want everyone to have a really close friend that they feel they can talk about anything with. But at the same time, that also comes with the extra work going into it. You have to socialize with them at a decently frequent schedule so that you're able to build the rapport. You can't just dive in on day one with a person that you think is a friend to deep conversations where you're kind of saying like, oh, 
I'm really struggling. I really need someone to lean on because if you're trying to lean on someone that you don't have that strong friendship with, they're just going to kind of pass it off as like, oh, maybe you should do this and maybe you'll feel better rather than actually yeah. trying to help you out and aid you kind of along the way. So it is kind of a catch 22 that while yes, you are burned out, you also kind of have to play the game a little bit to try and like maintain some friendships. Cause I mean, I've lost friendships over nothing, just kind of losing contact, losing touch. And I mean, nothing actually happened. I mean, it was just, I didn't send text messages, phone calls, didn't see them face to face and kind of the same thing. They didn't send text messages or anything. And then through the years, everything fizzled out into the point where we're not really even acquaintances anymore. So, I mean, it just happens. I mean, even if it's not intentional. So it's definitely something to try and even if you struggle to have these engagements with people, I think it's something you should honestly struggle through if possible, or at least find a, a frequency of socializing with them where it's not too painful to socialize with them while still trying to maintain a friendship as well. Yeah, so I think that when it comes to these social interactions, I think it's really nuanced and really complex. I think it's hard for neurotypicals who don't struggle through this to really understand how challenging that can be. It's not really something you can push through because it's a matter of a communication style. Uh, to me, it's kind of like saying push through having a conversation with somebody who speaks Chinese when you don't speak Chinese. Well, so. I thought of a good, I thought of a good example <laughs> is basically for like your average guy. It's like, Oh, try picking the most attractive girl in your high school and have great conversations with her starting from nothing. And it's like, what? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like, if you're like an average person and you're like, oh my gosh, like she's so beautiful. I can never talk to her kind of thing. Then obviously you have trouble trying to engage in conversations with I do people. not approve of this example. I'm just thinking, I'm like, Natalie Portman, why? What? Wait, hold on. This is uh, going to be a post-podcast conversation because my husband and I need to have a chat. Uh, Natalie Portman. No, <laughs> Maybe like if you're trying to have like a comfort item or like something to assist with like your anxiety. Well, I actually... Or like I actually think that when it comes to the social engagement, I think that it's important that children have some sort of structure to help them through that social process. So something that would have helped me, for example, is to maybe have either a, a buddy and this can be through either like a therapist or a para or somebody who is able to help your child through those social engagements. I have seen that you can have in an IEP. It's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's hard to get one-on-ones and paras. But if you're able to, you can actually have in an IEP that like your ABA person who comes into school or your para helps your child in the playground setting, for example, or wherever it may be to socialize with their peers. So if they do struggle with engaging in those conversations and they have that anxiety when it comes to approaching those conversations, you can ask somebody to come in and help them therapeutically reciprocate those conversations, kind of help them say hello. Oh, they asked you what's your favorite color. This is where you say your color, like things like that. Or if they're nonverbal, maybe helping them with nonverbal cues like waving or nodding or whatever it may be to help with that social engagement piece. So that's something that like I as a child would have benefited from if I knew and there was such a thing at the time. And it's something that we're looking into for our kids as well. So that's one of the things that you could try there. But as Matt mentioned, there are some other things that you could do, particularly when struggling with the anxiety aspect. Usually, I have lots of little 
fidget toys because I tend to stress discreetly. And depending on your kid, if they're a younger kid, they might not care about having to be discreet about it. But if you have an older kid having some sort of like fidget or something like in your pocket, that's what I do. I have my fidget in my pocket and I kind of like squeeze and stuff. And it's like a self-soothing thing where it's like, okay, you're helping yourself push through this conversation. It's going to be fine. But it's just kind of like a little pep talk, a silent pep talk. (laughs) One of the ways that I've done this is through a lot of cool little sensory toys. If you're in the market for sensory toys, one of the subscription boxes that we use is called the Sensory Theraplay Box, and it has been awesome. It's got a lot of cool stuff, so just check it out. I want to give a huge shout out to Sensory Theraplay Box. Every box comes with an inspirational quote and lots of sensory goodies. Each month, you and your child will be surprised with a new box of sensory items, specifically curated by a pediatric occupational therapist. These goodies allow your child to discover new toys in a way that is both fun and therapeutic. If you're thinking of the perfect gift for your sensory-seeking child, check out the link in the description to surprise your child with therapist-approved sensory toys in their mailbox each month. And while, yes, that is a plug, I actually do use little sensory fidgets all the time because I do think that they're helpful. Nowadays, it almost seems like that is kind of the thing that's in like i'm just thinking of like the fidget spinner thing like i mean we had like our nieces and nephews who aren't on the spectrum and they had them and they were spinning them trying to get different colored ones and everything so i mean it's becoming more mainstream where it's like if you have a fidget i don't think anyone would necessarily like look twice and be like oh what's that strange thing they probably have one in their backpack too even though i know that it's becoming mainstream which is both like as good and bad in some cases it can be good because it can be discreet because that's what is kind of the culture a little bit now yeah and again it's up to you as a parent and your child of course on how discreet or not discreet you want to be about stimming in public i'm okay with it in certain situations in other situations where i'm trying to be professional i'd rather be discreet which is why i use ones in my pocket but when it comes to like these like social engagements where i can anticipate that i'm going to be a little stressed out like the big ones job interviews then i want to have something more discreet as a kid i used to try to deal with my social anxiety by escaping into books and your child may be that type of kid maybe they are hyperlexic and they dive into books but there might be other things that they are diving and escaping into and that could be whatever their special interest is so that's another thing to consider is if you see that your kid is really 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 hyper fixating on their special interests after a social engagement It could actually be a sign that they might have been anxious about it, or maybe they're doing that post-social engagement meltdown where they're kind of just trying to self-soothe by heavily engaging in their special interests. That's something that I used to do as a kid, where after that social interaction or not even a social interaction, but kind of like the threat of one, like if I was around a lot of people and there was a possibility that somebody would talk to me, that alone gave me anxiety. And so I would escape through my books. I would escape through my special interests, which has always been like medieval things and fantasy things. Side note, Matt and I may or may not have allegedly supposedly had a medieval themed wedding, maybe. (laughs) But I was escaping the anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's just different things, different tools that we have tried to use. Because again, the social anxiety aspect when it comes to an autistic kid You may be able to see it very obviously, but more than likely, it will be hidden. It won't be obvious to you that that child is experiencing anxiety because it might come out in 
a meltdown. It might come out in high sensory needs. It might come out in sudden increase in their special interests. It could come out in many different ways that don't necessarily look like anxiety. Yeah, I mean, you had a good point where you were saying as far as the social interactions at school, and you kind of made me think that a number of interactions have similar patterns for kind of the conversations and such. So like you can almost preload responses or like questions that like your little ones can use. Simple things like, oh, what's your name? How old are you? I mean, for like very young ages, what's your favorite color? But there's also a little bit older things. I mean, if they're really interested in, I don't know, airplanes, for example, you can be like, oh, have you seen this new airplane or something? Here are the different engines and the different specs on the airplane or whatever. So, I mean, you can probably preload. I say preload for our, I think of our kids like a little like a mini. Robot? Well, I think of like our kids like mini computers because we say something and then they like repeat it like with the, the scripting. So, I mean, I think of like preloading like conversations. I mean, obviously it doesn't work hard like coded in. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, like as far as like introductions and like some other areas that you think might be common in an environment where they might be socializing with another kid at the playground, you can kind of work with them kind of trying to teach them, oh, if someone says this, you can respond with this. I mean, obviously it's different in practice than in reality, but it's something to try. Yeah, I honestly think the key is to go into the real world and offer them real world practice. So like take those tools that Matt was just explaining and practice them at the playground. If you have kids who go to school with them, get in touch with their parents and say, hey, would you be up for a plate day? My kid would like to practice these skills. Are you cool with that? And just see if you can find someone who is cool with your kid practicing that. So I think there's a couple things you can do to help with the social anxiety. One is help establish the rules of conversation with them beforehand. Help them understand what to expect in a conversation. And that, again, could be like teaching them how to reciprocate a question, for example. If they're nonverbal, maybe giving them nonverbal cues they can use, like we're trying to teach our littlest some sign language, for example, or if there's communication charts or something to use to engage in that. The other thing is give them those comforts that they need that can help them push through the anxiety. So whether that's like a fidget or anything like that, just something that can help them like a comfort item get through that. And then the third one would be, don't forget about the post-communication potential anxiety that comes with that. Parents focus all their energy on what happens before the social interaction and what's happening during the social interaction, but a lot of times kind of neglect what happens after. A lot of times, (laughs) a lot of times we don't realize Mm. that it's not over when the social interaction is over. A lot of autistic people like myself are still struggling after the conversation has ended. So just remember, It's a full cycle, so you got to focus on the before, during, and after. And I think over time, doing that will ultimately make it easier in general for your kid. Yeah, I like that. Kind of like a sandwich of the different conversations. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to wrap this up here, but I do say that as an adult who still struggles with this myself. So also be aware and be prepared that this could be a lifelong thing. If you are nipping it in the bud as children, I assume it will be easier for them as they get older. I didn't have that opportunity, so I never got to practice it. But hopefully that is something that your kid will, if you give them the proper support, improve upon as they get older. Or at least just being aware of such possibilities of anything like that existing in the first place. 
And with that said, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Again, don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow. And if you guys have any questions or cool comments, feel free to leave them at the bottom of our YouTube video. If you're listening to this on audio, you can always go back and leave them there. We do read them. We will refer to them in future episodes if needed. Thank you very much, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.